Well, hi there, and thank you for listening. Before we start, I have a question for you. If objects that are around us reflect the social structures of our period, what does that tell us about our social structures we live in? In this episode, I have a super interesting talk with PhD candidate, programmer of the Rappout Reflex of the Rappout University in Nijmegen, Lisa Doeland. If you want more information about the topics discussed or about the books or the philosophers referred to in this podcast, please visit futurebased.org. Thank you for saying yes to my invitation. Yeah. Um, can you introduce yourself? Yes. Um, uh, so, uh, my name is Lisa Duland. Um, I have a background in literary studies and philosophy, and I've been working as a programmer of lectures and debates at the Radboud Reflex at the Radboud University in Nijmegen yes. for uh, more than five years now. And uh, about three years ago, I um, started a PhD project as an external candidate uh, on on yeah, the philosophy of waste or the, the ontology of waste, really. And um, in the process of doing that, I found that when you ask about the ontology of waste, so when you ask what is waste, really, what's yeah, uh, then you come to a point where you find that it's 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 uh, that you cannot really point to waste, really. It's always. Um, uh, there's nothing essential about waste. So it's when you ask the ontological question, uh, you come to see that's an, a hauntological question. So ghost-like, so like haunting. Uh, so so waste ne- is never really there, really present. Um, uh, it's 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 always more than what's present, really. And uh, so I'm delving into what that means uh, to be never fully present, to be also. So waste is always something also of the past and of the future, uh, never fully in the present. Uh, uh, and also uh, when we try to make it something fully of the present, when we try to pinpoint it and say, this is waste, this is where it's supposed to be, in the bin or uh, in the landfill or uh, in the incinerator to get some energy out of it, then uh, things start to go wrong, you might say. It starts to to haunt us. It's never really, uh, it's never really uh, gone, or it's never really in the the place where we want it to be. It always comes back. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, because for our listeners, one of the topics of future base will be ecology, um, and. Uh, how is this related to your book uh, you wrote Onszelf voorbij, kijken naar wat we liever niet zien? I didn't yeah. quite find the right translation. How would you translate it? Uh, we, and we did the title. Yeah, um, I don't know. The, the the most straightforward translation would be, I think, beyond ourselves, yeah. looking at what we'd rather not see. But I don't know if that's the best translation. It's beyond ourselves, so beyond our our... The focus on ourselves. That's yes. of course the, the the pun of the the book. Uh, there's also a get over yourself, but that doesn't really that doesn't really translate, I think. But it uh, resonates. But it resonates, yes. maybe. Yeah. So we found that in um, uh, so we got together, uh, the three of us writing a book, and then we found that the, both in our own ways. So me and Elise de Mille yes. and Naomi Jacobs, that both in our own ways we were trying to 
look at things that we'd rather not see or yeah things that we rather disavow or or, or uh, not not look at turn a blind eye turn a, turn a blind eye to uh, and that we uh, each in our own way try to find a way to to look anyway because that's always difficult of course if if it's something you uh, you'd rather not see uh, so that's yeah so uh, you also write in your book um, we have an unstoppable focus on ourselves uh, from self-tracking and mindfulness um, in which we keep our fears in check so we want to control our environment yeah um, well what's wrong with that <laughs> <laughs> well the, the, the problem with the it's very understandable that we want to control our environment, but the problem is we cannot really. Yeah. And in doing, uh, in trying to to control our environment, we make things worse. Um, because um, I think, as Timothy Morton would say, we're not the top dog, or we're not the decider, or we're not really. So we might feel like uh, we're in control, like we're. Um, the top of creation, the Anthropos of the Anthropocene, mm -hmm. uh, who's on top of it all and who's um, very high and mighty. But of course, uh, so maybe in focusing on this this concept of the Anthropocene and the Anthropos, you see where it's going wrong, because um, the Anthropos is indeed the, the, so the man man controlling everything is indeed very uh, powerful, but I don't think he's very controlling it very much. So there's a lot of influence going on. We're very much influencing uh, as a species that is. So th there's a difficulty, of course, here. Uh, so are we influencing the planet as, as individuals or as a species? So mm -hmm. I, I'm focusing on the species now. So this is, of course, a difficult thing. Maybe we could get into it later on. Uh, but as a species, we're having a very big impact on the planet. Um, so we're, we're polluting a lot. Uh, so all the CO2, all the, the pollution going on. But this is, of course, not something we set out to do. This is involuntary, really. We didn't want to <laughs> uh, uh, um, put all this CO2 in the air and in the oceans, uh, acidifying the oceans and warming the, the planet. That's not what we wanted, but that's it's some sort of a side effect. So um, we we're both very mighty and very, how would you say... Uh, very unmighty, very vulnerable, really very... Yes, because you already mentioned in, in uh, aspects of the species, um, Timothy Morrison also, also mentioned you are not uh, responsible for the pollution, yet you are responsible, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, is this what you mean with a species is kind of a difficult perspective? Yeah, you could say so. As a species, we might you might call us a, a geological force. Then, yes. So then we are um, a geological force. Uh, we are um, causing the Anthropocene. Mm -hmm. uh, but then again, what are we talking about? And who is this species? Uh, especially, I, I don't think Morton delves into this quite. Not in his book, but it, not in an interview, maybe. I've seen. It, 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 a species is, of course, a, a difficult concept. Yes. Um, uh, also, because so so who's the uh, so who is this species? Of course, some people are very much more uh, responsible or causing certain stuff than others. Uh, 
but some of these uh, people causing stuff are causing it as a company. <laughs> so um, uh, Shell, of course, I think they're two uh, percent of all the CO2 level rises is due to Shell pumping mm -hmm. up oil. Two mm -hmm. percent mm -hmm. of everything. That's massive. That's massive. So Shell is very, very, very much responsible. But who's Shell? Yes. So that's because uh, the people at Shell are not necessarily bad people. Uh, who is the actor? Do you mean? Well, that's a difficult question. Now, I, I, I would say they might not be bad people as individuals, but as right. uh, as people working there, they are responsible for keeping this uh, in in place. You can, of course, say, okay, so also the people, I don't know, using the oil or whatever, but there is some level of responsibility um, that they have that is very much bigger that, than I have responsibility for it, for example, mm -hmm. um, because I don't work at Shell, Mm -hmm. uh, and then on top of that, I don't drive a car. Mm -hmm. I, of course, I do. I do take the train, so I don't know how <laughs> Shell, <laughs> if there's if there's some of their oil in there somewhere. So it's a very, very, very difficult question. But if you um, uh, if you speak of species, this is something that you cannot really uh, get into because it's too 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 big, too general uh, a concept. Uh, how would you describe it? How would you? Because you are also writing about uh, we should go beyond the negativity and the positivity, but accept the shit we're in, actually. Yeah, so see what's going on. I, yeah. um, this is something, uh, uh, so I just read uh, Bruno Latour's latest book mm. in English, I think it's called Down to Earth. In Dutch, uh, the translation is Waar kunnen we landen? So where can we find ground or footing again? And uh, one of the things he, uh, so he speaks of several forms of globalization and universalization that have been going on. And what he uh, shows, I think, is that um, in globalization, there seems to have, uh, this seems to have been a progress in which we have become familiar with all the earth and all the ground. Um, but in fact, we didn't. It was a very abstract. It's it's uh, uh, it's uh, teamed up with capitalism also, and what capitalism does. This is not something Latour says uh, explicitly. I think he does relate to it because, uh, uh, in a way, but I think this is what it's uh, about. So capitalism is also uh, is always very abstract. So um, you can only um, this only works if you can put a certain value. Uh, a money value on things and make abstractions of them, then it, this is something you can work with and trade with. And as long as it's not, so there's a certain level of abstraction needed. So um, uh, uh, ground be then becomes a resource and the resource is always a bit abstract. Uh, it's not concrete resources mm -hmm. uh, uh, because otherwise you cannot trade with them easily or something. Um, what Latour is trying to do, I think, is, uh, okay, how can we find um, real ground again, footing again? Um, and he suggests that we look back at what happened just before the French Revolution uh, in 1798 or 88, this must have been, the, the French king at that time, Louis the I don't know, sorry, <laughs> asked um, for all the, the, the districts of France 
um, to do an inventorization, so to, to tell what's going on in all the, uh, all the districts. Uh, these were called Cahiers de Doléances. Um, and it asks, so who's living here? Um, uh, what, does the, what does the district look like? Who owes what to whom? How are things? I still have to get into the, the exact uh, what these Cahiers de Doléances are about, really. But um, this is a way to try and find find the, the, the real ground again. So how are people connected. living here connected in these specific situations, connected with each other, connected with um, uh, the environment, the places they are living, and how are things actually working here? So not in an abstract way, but in a concrete, uh, specific way. And he suggests that we, uh, too, uh, uh, try and uh, do this. So, And then my question would be, how would modern Cahiers yes. de Doléans look like? They would be very different because they wouldn't, they wouldn't be so manageable. There is when I when I try to find out how I am related to my surroundings, I get uh, I'm related to certain areas of China, a lot of areas in China, I think, because that's where my stuff comes from. Um, my food comes from Africa or from South America, so the Cahiers de Doléances would look very different. Um, this is also something that that Latour points out. So. The, the, the ground we live on is not the ground we live off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, all the uh, things, the stuff, the food that we need to subsist comes from other places than the places where we live. What does that mean? That's, a, I think, a very important question. But technology plays an important role. Mm -hmm. And not only in the relations um, of the land we live in and the land we live off, but also in the relations how we are connected on social level with each other. The, do you think technology plays a role in how we are related to each other? That we see each other as kind of a means to an end? I, um, I must say that if you mention technology in this context, mm. context, I, I don't know, I think of Marx and alienation. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, Yeah, let's take a step back. So yes. I would say that um, uh, if you haven't made things with your own hands, mm -hmm. there the the chance that you find them easily less important, more easily disposable, so yes. that we get back to waste, mm -hmm. uh, that, that gets bigger, of course, because there's no... Um, uh, the relationship has, has changed. So... Uh, if I'm so okay, let's go back to the the, the 19th century. Um, uh, as Susan Strasser, an, an American anthropologist, points out, this is this is about the time when we changed from a society of uh, makers to a society of buyers, yes, uh, to consumers, um, and this of course changed the relationship we have with um, uh, with things with. Uh, yeah, the things we, 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 we use in everyday life. Um, and this explains also, if you're a consumer, you can buy something, and then, of course, at some point, you need to, um, uh, if it's in, within a consumer capitalist society, you need to dispose of it, of it to make room for new, for new stuff. Yes. Because otherwise, the system doesn't work. Yes. Um, 
So it's not only because uh, you could say that if you have made things with your own hands or your grandmother has or grandfather, they have more meaning for you, but also because it, uh, 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 we changed them to a new system that needed us to dispose of things. Um, so there's a double-edged sword here. So it's not only that if you're uh, if things are have been made in a factory, you might not feel uh, connected to them uh, as you would have if it would have been made by your grandfather, mm -hmm. um, which makes it easier or less easier to, to dispose of. But also because the the, the society changed. So. Uh, the society changed to one in which you cherish the stuff you had to uh, a society in which you had disposed of things. You yes. have to make room for new stuff. Yes. Yeah. So do we have a social responsibility to keep stuff, to not dispose of them that easily? Yeah, I think we do. Yeah. I would say we do. Um, I think that is key. Uh, so I myself try... I just had a discussion about this with my sister yesterday, or not really, a, it wasn't really a discussion, but so she said, I only buy secondhand now, that's very important, but then uh, it's okay if I keep them, the, the shopping rush going, yeah, yeah. so I can have a shopping <laughs> rush um, <laughs> at the secondhand shop, and that's okay, because it's secondhand. Um, uh, I... I <laughs> I know how, how good that rush can be, yeah. I know of the rush, but I do try to, to, to not let me be taken over by it and also control it in the secondhand shop. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so sometimes I buy something new for a lot of money, so I just bought a, bought a blanket to cuddle up on the couch underneath the thing for, I don't know, 90 euros, but I'm quite sure that I will still have it in... 40 years time and it's yes. really nice so that's fantastic um, uh, and and I try even if I'm in a second hand clothing store not to keep on buying stuff just to I don't know uh, and then cherish what I have and then return the things I really don't like to the to this circle because um, uh, I don't have the I don't know if if clothing or whatever is not working for me is not happy with me as Marie Kondo, the, the, yes, yes, the cleaning guru <laughs> yeah, habit, so exactly. not, then return it to the, the circular pool, whatever, and then these things can be happy uh, with somebody, someone else. Yes. Yeah. But the key is less, less of everything, also less of secondhand buying. Yeah, yeah, just say no. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Baudrillard, a philosopher, once said the objects that are around us reflect the social structures of our period. Yeah. What does it tell us about our social structures right now? What do the, um, the objects around us tell us right now? That we are all very, very interchangeable. So the, the objects come and go, the people come and go. Mm -hmm. They have some sort of prefabricated ideal meaning some sort of surface meaning they they embody something an idea or an ideal and when they're not shiny and new anymore or when they are not able to embody this idea or ideal then we dispose of them and get another one mm -hmm. yeah uh, 
that's yeah, especially in relation to things. I, I think um, I think you could also argue that through all these social media things, we are relating in a similar way to to people. Mm. But I found find that uh, that's um, dangerous ground maybe, and I don't know a lot about it. So uh, I can say that uh, in relation to stuff, that's, that's, that says a lot about our society. Mm. But I'm unsure if in our friendships and in our relationships we're really doing the same. Um, as, yeah, if I think of, of, of Tinder, yes, um, it, it, seems to be, it seems to be happening uh, likewise. question is then what are the implications of your of your behavior well first of all so <laughs> look at what you rather not see <laughs> for for myself that yes. is at one point i think it was a month ago uh, all of a sudden i didn't really get it uh, i was unfollowed by a lot of people it was like 20 in i don't know a week so now you know why <laughs> <laughs> yeah then I, I i i noticed that this made me feel Oh yes, unhappy or insecure or no, no, yeah, and uh, and I didn't get it. Am I not <laughs> posting the right stuff? It's awful. But then I thought, no, this is not. I'm not going to uh, g- give in to this nasty feeling because there's some uh, something going on that I don't, can't really grasp. And especially, I'm not now. Um, going to try and post stuff that I think that other people will like Good. so yes. that I'll get new followers. I'm <laughs> no. not, not going to do that. Um, and then um, uh, a month after, or a week after that, there was um, I had an altercation on Twitter. So uh, someone that I've been following and she's been following me for a long time, we had a sort of a discussion. And I think then we, we didn't agree, and she unfollowed me. Then I thought, this, <laughs> yes. is, this is awful. Yes. yes, it is. So we don't agree, and now you don't want to, you don't want to play with me anymore. And, uh, and since then, I've been wondering, should I uh, quit Twitter? Because this is, um, uh, this is, this is, this is no. awful. I don't think you should quit Twitter. I think you should write about it <laughs> and talk about it. But I feel like there's something wrong with Twitter because people are, yes, it, it's been said uh, before. So this is nothing new, but, um, there seems to be, um, there, there's always, uh, right, wrong. There's always people get into fights on yes, Twitter. It is. Um, and, uh, so there's no real, conversation there's no uh, uh, there's all these camps yes and you're in this camp or you're in that camp and then the people who follow you they're 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 your kind of people and so it's very polarizing and um and people are shouting and emotions uh, emotions yes. and uh it's like we're all we're getting stuck in our own in our own beliefs ever more and um, and there's no communication going on, and so so why why don't we stop? There was this one post of um, uh, no, it was not of, but about the, uh, the Greta Thunberg, the the, uh, the girl who's been not going to school to mm-hmm. get uh, to demonstrate strike yes. now for, yes. for, for, for for four months already, and then so half of the people commenting said, well, way to go, and the other half was. She's um, 
uh, indoctrinated by the left, and this is untrue, and uh, she's, well, there are all these, these awful things uh, she's used by politicians to um, make a point, and uh, uh, so they're all focusing on that she's not really doing anything autonomous and autonomous and being very awful. And this is a 50-year-old girl, so wow. Mm. Um, and then I thought, I, yeah, do I want to uh, be a part of this? Yes. What's happening over here? And I'm still not sure. Uh, I'm still undecided. I don't know if, it, uh, if this is what happens on Twitter, if this is the way it functions. Maybe I want to pull my part of that plug. Because I do feel that that um, my anger is fueled when I'm on Twitter. And um, maybe there's someone, or maybe the, the organization behind Twitter uh, needs me to be angry. Maybe that's their business model, probably. I don't know. Um, so they need, they need the people who are on Twitter to be, uh, uh, to be polarized, because that's, that's where the... But that's where the fuel that's yes. for Twitter comes from. Yes. So it's fueled with with anger. So Twitter then would be about people being angry. And as soon as people stop being angry, um, they don't tweet anymore. So yes, there's a kind of an urgency Twitter behind it, bust. right? Yes. Um, I don't know. So so the the fuel for Twitter would be anger. So the algorithms or the yeah uh, would be yeah. fueling this. I mean, that's why I get all these all these sponsored uh, messages from Shell because I don't know the algorithm knows um, that I that this really enrages me. No, it could be. It could be, and then I don't know. Facebook would be about what would Facebook be about? Not about anger. Or the need for validation, the the need to be to be to be to be noticed, to be something like that. I think this would be another thing, yeah, way of looking. So, so looking at what we rather not see is also it's yeah. it's also about all these things, these processes that we are unaware of, that are subconscious or unconscious in a way. And I think it's very important that we. Um, you cannot make them all very conscious, but you, you need to be aware that there are processes going on um, that have uh, that influence you or that influence your uh, surroundings that um, make the world go round. Uh, and you need to be aware sort of uh, how, how these processes work and then not be at the mercy of them. Uh, so I, yeah. Can philosophy be a remedy? Like sure. medicine. <laughs> yes, like medicine. Um, I think asking questions always helps, of course. Um, not for everything, everyone. I think there's a lot of people who really don't like the... Asking questions always comes with not knowing... For sure, or losing losing your footing, really, or losing your ground, because then you feel that it's not that solid as you thought it was, or that it's shifting. Yes, but yeah. it's but this it is, is the problem yeah. because we want to control everything. Yeah, we need to embrace more uncertainties, maybe. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, philosophy can help, of course, but uh, uh, it's helped me. Yeah. yeah. How how did it help you? For me, it's a way. A controlled way to to deal with this uncertainty, mm. really, because there's still some 
security in philosophical theories or in thoughts, something like that. So in that sense, it's a, it's a controlled experiment. I don't know. Um, and because in these philosophies, there's always something that grabs your attention mm -hmm. and that makes you feel not really known, but you feel like you're, you're this is something I, I get or something. This is a shared insight. Oh my God, this is so very true. Um, I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Something like that. Uh, even um, when the insight is that uh, nothing is certain or something. Yes. But, uh, uh, yeah. Do you have philosophers who you admire? Adorno, very much so. The, the Theodore Adorno. I think. Yeah, I started out, uh, the, the first, I, I, I'm not sure, I think my first big love was um, uh, a lot of people's big love, that was Nietzsche, mm -hmm. um, because he's very funny, and because he's very witty, and because uh, he's very straight, I don't know, I, I, and because there's something quite lucid in his writings, in his aphorisms. Uh, and of course, he smashes all our securities to bits, which is always a good thing. Uh, but then again, there's, there's also these things that are quite, not quite clear or that, that, you, that you really have to engage with to understand or something. So that's what I really like. Then my next big love was Walter Benjamin, very different philosopher. Um, who's been called a Marxist and a yeah. literary scholar, and uh, so, but I would say he is a philosopher, um, and he's uh, he's not a very lucid thinker, <laughs> not as uh, Theodore Adorno would have it. They they're friends, um, and in my master thesis, I focused on uh, Walter Benjamin saying, um, some sometimes when you want to. Tell, not really tell a certain truth, but elaborate on something you can you can evoke stuff. So you can evoke in uh, certain. Uh, so he evoked certain truths about history uh, in very short aphorisms that were very rich in imagery. Uh, for me, they 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 were. They were telling some sort of truth uh, within brackets. Um, and then Adorno said, um, uh, this is, uh, it doesn't work like that. Philosophy uh, is all about um, formulating very precise. So what's vaguely put is poorly thought. Mm -hmm. You have to be very precise in, in, in writing and formulating things. So the evoking, uh, what Benjamin called Darstellung, that was, doesn't work. It's all about Deutung. Um, uh, so you need to be very rigid. And, um, and of course, Adorno also knew that philosophy only has concepts and language, uh, but concepts mostly, and that these concepts are never quite able to grasp what they uh, conceptualize. So 
there's always a, a gap between the concepts and what you could call reality. But then again, uh, philosophy is about, I don't know, working with this impossibility or this unbridgeable gap. But then, so uh, uh, trying to identify non-identity. So this is a dialectical process that doesn't, um, uh, that never really stops. So you're never really there, but you have to keep on trying or keep on doing it. So philosophy always fails. Concepts always fail, but in philosophizing, you have to philosophizing. You have to show uh, how this conceptualization works, and uh, yeah, uh, and 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 give insight into yes. that. So that's very different from what uh, Benjamin tried to do. But I don't know. I I, I can relate to 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 both. Um, and now my latest big love is uh, Timothy Morton. Yes, he was I don't know maybe a bit more Benjamin-like, different. Again, and um, what are you investigating right now? Because we are talking about from from ecology to waste to to uh, social media right yeah. now. Back to your fascination. Um, um, so the American philosopher Timothy Morton wrote a book about dark ecology. Yeah. Uh, can you explain to which insights dark ecology of Morton has brought you to your personal new insights. So dark ecology specifically, I think the point uh, Timothy Morton makes in his first book on ecology, so Ecology Without Nature, in yeah. which he also already mentions this concept of dark ecology. Um, so it's not a very new point, but the way he makes it, I think it's very, it's, it's um, uh, very, I don't know, uh, elucidating. So he says this concept of nature is very uh, is idealizing. We romanticize nature, um, and that's uh, so. When we think of nature, it's 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 birds, it's bees, it's buzzing, it's fantastic, it's harmonious, it's uh, it's something that um, uh, so there's nature on one side. It's like a paradise of Eden. Uh, it mm -hmm. has a paradise of Eden-like quality, and then there's there's humans who are trashing the place, so they're opposed to nature. Um, and uh, they've they've trampled <laughs> nature, so we need to get back to nature in a way, and then uh, uh, find find this harmonious way of of relating to our environment again. And then he says this is a fiction. Um, uh, we need we need an ecology without nature. Um, so he redefines the the. So he, he does away with the concept of nature and he gives a new definition of the concept of ecology mm -hmm. by saying, so, okay, ecology, uh, uh, we need to conceive of ecology as dark ecology. And with the darkness, he refers, I would say, to um, in ecology, you, you can never do it exactly right. You relate to you're you're entwined with all these different things, animals, people, um, and you can never do it exactly right, uh, which is something we humans uh, have a hard time with. Yes, because we like uh, we like to have the the darkness and the light, the good and the bad. But in ecology, this uh, we have to I don't know find our way in the the in the darkness. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, this darkness of him also uh, this darkness of dark ecology also refers to um, the darkness of 
film noir film, so the, the darkness of noir. Um, and in film noir detectives, of detective movies and books, the, um, the culprit or the detective sometimes finds that he is the culprit, that he's he's done the deed. So um, he's intertwined with the, the the dark and the light. The dark, yeah. So it's it's not really it's 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 vague. Um, it's um, uh, it's dark, and you're you're. Uh, you're in on the crime. So that is something I think we ourselves, uh, uh, that in uh, these climate warming times, we try and find how we ourselves are uh, our culprits are. How are we responsible? How are we involved in this crime? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very difficult question to answer. So how are we involved? And we cannot get a clear answer, really. Uh, we can get partial answers. Or um, It's the part of the problem, because you wrote, um, and I, I this is a quotation, uh, this shows how we become alienated from our environment. Uh, from ourselves and our environment, but also to each other. And maybe this is a nice bridge over the gap um, with social media. How can we reconnect? Yes, of course. Um, um, but first of all, we need to ask, what what is this environment? And um, um, So yes, we can reconnect, but then not with the environment uh, we, we want, but the environment we actually have. Yes. So the non-idealized environment. Uh, so this reconnection would not be with uh, by taking long walks on Sunday uh, <laughs> on the, in the in the forest and whatever, and then feel our reconnecting and smelling the, the trees yes. and the grass. And post it uh, on Instagram. And then post these fantastic pictures on Instagram. Uh, it's like, I don't know, literally opening your garbage bin and then asking, so what's going on here? So, mm. so I myself um, uh, have, if I, if I uh, so in Amsterdam, we don't have a, uh, a system that allows us to classify things very clearly. Mm. So there's a lot of, uh, residual waste. Uh, so I have, I don't know, these tin cans and uh, wrappers and uh, orange peels uh, all together really? in one bin. Yeah, still. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so then living with that and then uh, asking myself, so what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. How can I change this? That would be taking care and reconnecting with nature. Uh, I think that our consumer society needs to change as mm-hmm. a whole, mm-hmm. uh, not just our individual behaviors. Uh, but I think that most people who are, try- who are changing their lives on micro levels yeah. know this. Yes. So they know that when they're, uh, they're buying different stuff, they are not changing the world. Then again, they do this because they feel it's important anyway. Uh, so this is this is what I would argue. 
Um, this makes me think of uh, um, uh, Jane Bennett, uh, an American philosopher who wrote a book also, it was, it's called Vibrant Matter, so on the idea that um, we need to go beyond the, the idea that we have active people, active humans, and then passive uh, other, other, so passive matter, passive animals, passive things, passive all the rest. Mm -hmm. um, and then she says this this dichotomy between the active and the passive passive uh, it's 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 untrue. So so people uh, are not the only ones doing stuff or acting or having some sort of agency. Uh, so things have a sort of have an agency uh, as well. Um, although it's of course different from humans, and then um, she tries to focus uh, also in a similar way as Morden does on the way um, humans are enmeshed in their uh, surroundings, or as she would call it with Bruno Latour, in certain assemblage, assemblages. So you're never, uh, so you're never alone. You're all always already part of certain assemblages or certain um, enmeshed in relations. And I think then with Bennett you could say, what assemblages or yes. relations do I want to be a part of? Uh, and then you can say, I don't want to be a part of assemblages that do this. Uh, or that as a whole, or a whole with a, yeah, uh, a non-whole a non whole, it's never a whole, <laughs> it's always, uh, there's always edges and it's rigged and uh, it's not really, uh, and this is a whole I do not want to be a part of. Uh, and then you, you choose regarding, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Thank you. For the listeners, I will post a link underneath the podcast about all the books and the writers you mentioned yeah. um, thank you for this super interesting conversation yeah. uh, where can we find you online uh, well, not really not on Twitter really. <laughs> on Twitter maybe yeah. no, on Twitter maybe oh, yeah. although I'm not sure uh, if for how long, long. <laughs> yeah. do you have a website or maybe on Radboud Reflex anyway yeah yeah, yeah. that's yes. Radboud Reflex I, I, uh, I'm in the process of getting a website for for Four years. Now, okay. So maybe one day. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah.